All right, so we've been talking about baseball all summer. Now, whether you like baseball or not, whether you watch baseball or not, we generally have an understanding about how baseball works. And it's generally this, the team with the most points wins. Pretty standard operating procedure, right? But in baseball, the only way that you can score points is you score a point for every player on your team who crosses home plate. So the first objective is to get a player on base and then move them around the bases till they cross home plate. And for, again, for every player that crosses home plate, then your team gets a point. Now, there's a couple of different ways to get on base. A batter can get a hit, it can get through the infield or drop there in front of the, the outfielders and uh, you can get on base that way. Or you can get walked, the pitcher can throw you four balls and not enough strikes and you get to walk to base. Or, or you can get hit by a pitch, that's one way to get on base. But once you're on base, you're now in position to start making some progress, move around the bags and hopefully make enough progress that you'll eventually cross home plate. We, we all got it? Yes. It's pretty simple. Okay, so today, what I wanna do is I wanna talk a little bit about progress. I wanna talk a little bit about progress when it comes to like spiritual life and this whole objective of what it means to follow Jesus and make progress doing that. So we're gonna talk about moving around the bases. Does that make sense? Now, here's, here's the thing I want us to start with from the very beginning. I wanna talk about progress in terms of spiritual life and faith and following Jesus, but I don't wanna talk about it with all the overtures of like performance, like all these things we have to do and ways to measure if in fact we're making progress and metrics that we have to meet because that, uh, that maybe has a place, but that's, that's not how I wanna talk about it today. Today, I wanna to talk about spiritual progress in a way that we would all just have a common understanding or definition about what we mean when we talk about spiritual progress. So that here at Cibolo Creek, at least, we'd have some terms that we'd, we'd recognize as familiar. We'd have some ways of discussing it so that everybody's on the same page about what it means to be making progress spiritually. But I, I don't wanna talk talk about performance. Today, I wanna to talk about progress as forward or onward movement toward a destination. No measures, no metrics, no, you know, good or bad, or, you know, you're failing or you're having success. I just wanna talk about making forward progress when it comes to our spiritual journey. So here's, here's the thing I want you to get. We're talking about progress, not points. A lot of people, even people who've been Christians for a long time, they still think of spiritual progress in terms of like earning points with the big guy. That I have to do certain things a certain way for a certain amount of time in order for God to love me and give me some points. And I'll just tell you, there's nothing about Christianity, there's nothing about following Jesus that has anything to do with points. It's interesting, I get in discussions with people who are sometimes Christians and sometimes who are non-Christians and, and they think in terms of performance. And I hear this a lot. 
We talk about like heaven and going to heaven when we die. And it's amazing how many people still say this. Well, I think my good outweighs my bad. So God's gonna let me into heaven because I'm a good person. I have enough points stacked up here over on this end of the scale to say that he'll like me, he'll love me, he'll let me in. It's just one problem. God doesn't work on points. And it's not about the most points. In fact, you want, want to know something that's a little disturbing? Do you? Oh, wow, you're eager for disturbing stuff. <laughs> you know what the standard is with God? It's not points, it's perfection. To enter into heaven, one must be perfect, do everything right all the time. And you're like, well, Paul, that's impossible. Who's ever gonna be allowed into heaven? I go, that's right. Because none of us will ever be perfect. Guess what? We need some help. That's what a savior's for. That's why Jesus is so important is because you and I, we will never be perfect. We'll never stack up enough points to get ourselves into heaven. We need a savior because we need the help. That's why Jesus is so absolutely critical to our lives as Christians. So we're not talking about points and we're not talking about perfection because none of us will ever be perfect. None of us will get a hit every single time that we get up to bat. Sometimes we're gonna, like we talked about last week, we're gonna strike out. We're gonna pop up and, and somebody's gonna catch it and we're, we're gonna be out. There's times that we're gonna make mistakes. There's sometimes we're gonna be deliberately rebellious and we're gonna do that which offends a holy, righteous God. But we'll never get it right all the time. Again, that's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus to help make up the difference between what we are unable to do before a holy and righteous God. Does that make sense? So naturally you would all understand the, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about baseball. It's written a few years before Abner Doubleday introduced the game of baseball. But it does have a lot to say about progress. And so what I wanna to do today is I just wanna talk about how does the Bible talk about spiritual progress? What is it? What's it look like? How do we recognize if in fact it's happening? And so naturally, the Bible doesn't talk about moving around bases. The way that the Bible talks about spiritual progress is it talks about it in terms of chronological growth. So what we see all through the Bible, particularly the New Testament and the, the words of Jesus, is we talk about being born. Jesus said, you must be what? You must be born again. And then the Bible talks about us being like babies. We're just, we're just brand new to what it is to be a follower of Jesus who's placed their faith in Christ. And with time and progress, we, we, we can become like children. The problem with that is at a certain stage of our progress, that's fine. It's just when we've been at it a whole lot longer that we should have well moved past being childish in our faith. And yet some people, they never move beyond that. And then we talk about being adults or really the word most consistently used in the Bible is that of being mature. 
And what's important for me that, that we all understand is that this, this chronological growth is defined by the progress that one makes in their life instead of age. See, what happens is somebody can be born and it may be decades later before they're born again, before they come into a relationship with Jesus by faith. They can be 13, they can be 33, they can be 73, they can be 83. When they're born again for the first time, they've come to a realization that I need a savior and Jesus is the savior that I need and I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. That can happen at any age. And the same is true is that all of this progress is not determined by how old one is because they can have a person who maybe was born again who professed faith in Jesus Christ and they've, they've been a Christian for 35 years, but they're still very much an infant in their faith. They still act very much like a child. So what the Bible is concerned about is, is this, this idea of making progress in our spiritual journey. Does that make sense? So there's kind of like these two divisions. There's kind of like immaturity and there's maturity. It's interesting. I had, a, I had this amazing psychology professor in college. I love this guy. He was fascinating. And I learned a definition of maturity from him. That was a long time ago, but I still remember it. He said, maturity is the ability to adjust to change. I'm like, oh man, that's so good. Maturity is the ability to adjust to change. And so throughout the scriptures, we, we see d discussions about kind of an immature faith and a mature faith. And here's some of the common characteristics that are used in the descriptions is that an immature faith is a person who's still very selfish. They still think of life in terms of themselves and the world rotates around them and it's all about their needs and their wants and their desires and their ambitions. It can be incredibly uh, selfish. It can be com incredibly irresponsible because they're so consumed in their selfishness, they don't really take any responsibility either for their actions and their attitudes, or they never take responsibility for the well-being of other people. Um, immaturity is often um, described in terms of impatience. You want something right now, you're not willing to wait and trust God through the waiting process. Um, it's defined by arrogance, uh, I'm sorry, ig ignorance, where we just don't really know enough to trust God correctly. And so we, in our ignorance, we, we behave in selfish ways. And then there's this sense of dependence, like a feed me, give me what I want, keep me entertained, keep me engaged in the life of the church. And so it's very dependent on what other people provide. In contrast, maturity, spiritual maturity, looks like a growing unselfishness. That's the transformation of Christ is that in our sinfulness, we can be incredibly selfish people, but when Christ begins doing a work in us, there's the prospect that we can become more and more unselfish, and it's not about us anymore or only about us. We begin to take responsibility, responsibility for our own growth, responsibility for our own behavior, responsibility for other people and their well-being. Maturity in the scriptures is described as patience, 
It's this idea of waiting on the Lord and his timing and trusting him with however long it may take. I trust him because of my, the maturity of my faith. It's, it's described as being wise as opposed to being ignorant. We start to learn the ways of faith and the fundamental beliefs that characterize a strong faith in Christ. And then it's, not, it's defined not by dependence, by an interdependence. The spiritual maturity starts to recognize, I need everybody else in order for my spiritual journey to thrive and to prosper. I need you and you need me. We need each other. That's why the family of God and the body of Christ is such an important uh, value when it comes to understanding spiritual journey. So we see this all through the New Testament, this idea of born again and infant and baby and and child and here's just a couple these are just a couple understand these are not all of them these are just a couple so the apostle paul he's writing to the church at corinth he's talking about the power of love and why it's such an essential expression of what it means to be followers of christ and he says when i was a child I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I, I reasoned like a child. And he's pointing out the fact that children, they, they have a way of talking. And it's not always mature because they don't have the experience to have made progress. And sometimes they think like children. And we as adults, we're supposed to be able to recognize the difference. And they reason, they don't always use good sound logic. I reasoned like a child, but when I grew up, when I started maturing in my faith, I, I put away childhood behind me, the ways of thinking and behaving like a child. And I started to grow up in my, my understanding of love and how it's supposed to work in my life. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes, I, I could not write to you, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago, who lived by the Spirit. But I had to talk to you as people who are still very much influenced and characterized by a life of worldliness where you're doing things more the way the world would do it rather than how the Spirit might lead you. You're, you're mere infants in Christ. You're still acting like babies. So here's what I had to do, the apostle Paul. I had to give you milk. I, I, couldn't, you, I, I couldn't give you solid food. You'd choke on it. You weren't ready for the deep and profound things of, of Christ and what it means to follow him because you're still very much a baby for you were not yet ready for it. <laughs> this is strong words to the church. Indeed, you're, you're still not ready. You're still acting like a bunch of babies is what he tells the church at Corinth. You're still acting very much like the world around you than, rather than followers of Christ. The book of Hebrews, the writer says this, by this time, as long as we've been at this, as long as we've been discussing you know, following Jesus, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Another way, to, to, you ought to be parents. You ought to be helping others in their spiritual journey, but, but you need someone to teach you the, the elementary truths of God's word. It's like we have to start all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. You're, you're interested in such surfacey sorts of things and rather than what it means to truly pursue Christ in righteousness. 
But solid food is for ones who have grown up, who've matured, who by constant use, they've trained themselves. That's taking responsibility. They've trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, whereas infants in faith, they, they, they don't always see the distinction. He continues, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Let's Let's and be taken toward or forward to maturity. That's this progress that the Bible talks about. Colossians chapter one. He is the one we proclaim, talking about Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ of Christ so powerfully works within me. This is the Apostle Paul describing. What I want most for you is the people that I serve is to see you grow up in your faith. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. I like to pick a passage each Sunday that we kind of turn together to kind of get familiar with finding our way around the scripture. But there's some of them I just like, oh, I want you to know where this one is. This one's really good. That's not to say that the other ones aren't. I'm just saying this for our discussion today, this one's really good. Ephesians chapter four. So again, the context, the apostle Paul is writing to a church in a city called Ephesus. He's helping them understand how to grow in their faith. So we come uh, to Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. He's talking about the work of Christ. It was, it was he or the Holy Spirit. He gave some to be apostles. These are unique God-given abilities that were entrusted to the, to the family of Christians. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Some were equipped to be evangelists and some were equipped to be pastors and teachers. And what was the purpose that God granted certain members of the body certain gifts? And he says, well, here's what their, their job is, is to prepare God's people for works of service. That a pastor and a teacher is designed to help you become equipped to be able to do what Christ has called us to do, to do works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all of us reach unity in the faith, all of us reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. And I love this next line, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now just hang on to that. We're gonna come back to that in a second. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then look at this. Then when we start looking more like Jesus, then we'll no longer be what? Infants, big babies running around, not taking responsibility for our spiritual progress. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, culture and society and ideology just thrown all over the place. I don't know what to believe. I don't know who I should trust blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things do what? Grow up 
Grow up into him who is the head, and that's Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part takes responsibility for their work. So there's this interesting phrase in this passage, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I spent too many years going, that's just a whole lot of words that I don't really understand. I had to figure out, what does that mean, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Are you interested? Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's been a while since I've been to an amusement park. But when I used to go to amusement parks, I don't know if it's changed. You'd go to some rides, and you had to be this tall to go on that ride. And most of the amusement parks I was going to, there'd be some sort of you know, cartoon character. Bugs Bunny, or I don't even know who the other cartoon characters are. Um, it doesn't matter. And he'd be there with his hand. He says, you must be this tall to ride this ride. You guys familiar with that? Which always presented a problem when me and my wife would go to amusement park because <laughs> she wasn't that tall. I'm, that's not a slam. I'm just stating she's five foot. Five foot four, she couldn't ride that ride, which is usually fine with her. So that's, that's, the, that's the picture. He's saying, until we all reach the measure, and the measure is Jesus. When we start looking like Jesus, we start behaving like Jesus, we start, we start acquiring the values of Jesus and the attitudes of Jesus and the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. This, this is the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And this is the destination. This is what we're shooting for. This is what we're moving toward. So when it comes to spiritual progress, here's a way to describe it. It's the increasing evidence of the character and the conduct of Jesus and the way that we go about living our life. That's what I want us as a church family to share together in an understanding that when we talk about spiritual progress, it's not about necessarily knowing more about the Bible than somebody else. It's not about coming to church more frequently than somebody else. What it means to be making spiritual progress is that my life starts to look different. It starts to look more and more like the life that Jesus would live through me. And here's, here's just a couple of characteristics that are, in, in my mind, are like a baseline. This, this is where we begin. Here's some of the characters and the, the behaviors of Jesus. He, he, he was characterized by humility, just this kind of proper estimation of himself and who he was. That's a place to start and ask himself, am I making progress toward humility? And humility is not about diminishing our perspective of ourself. It's seeing ourselves as having equal value and importance to everybody else. I'm not more important and I'm not less important. Um, Jesus was characterized by grace. He, it's, it's eternal kindness, but ways that we would say, he just cut people a lot of slack. He understood we don't get it right all the time. He, he, he was characterized by love. 
But more than love, he was characterized by compassion. His love moved him to action. So he demonstrated his love. This devotion, this is the essence of holiness, that Jesus was devoted to his father and the will of his father and doing what it was that his father asked him to do. He was, he, he was characterized by faith or trust. He trusted his heavenly father even when, when the world seemed against him, when he's being led off to the cross. We read that he trusted his father in what was unfolding. And then Jesus, his life is characterized. In fact, the epitome of his life is characterized or defined by sacrifice, giving up what he might have wanted for the good of others. This, uh, this is just a baseline of, of what spiritual progress looks like. So spiritual progress is about growing up. It's about developing more and more qualities of maturity. And here's, here's kind of three important categories. We can become mature in our beliefs or we can remain immature in our beliefs. Like an immature belief is, well, God doesn't like me because I, I don't get it right all the time. God can't possibly love me because I screwed up so badly in this particular expression of my life. And that's an immature belief because the mature belief is God loves you. That was de decided and defined the day that he died on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That's how he will always love you. Uh, mature in our character, growing up in kind of the essence of who we are and mature in our behavior. To be, um, to be a gossip and, and talk about people in destructive ways when they're not around, that, that's immature behavior. But respecting people and, and talking about them in ways that are admirable and, and complimentary when they're not in the room and they can't be in the discussion, that's a, that's a mature behavior. Does that make sense? Okay, so in terms of like our baseball analogy, um, a number of years ago, this enormous survey was conducted in tens of thousands of churches throughout the United States. And the, the whole interest of the survey was trying to define, you know, spiritual progress in the American church. And um, the, the authors of this survey literally collected enormous amounts of data. And they, they generally describe spiritual progress as having like four movements. And I, I'm just gonna attach a base to them because that works for us for the, the analogy of baseball. So this, this first group of people that were identified in the survey is, is people who would say, I'm, I'm exploring Christ. I, I, I haven't really made my decision yet I don't really know what I believe, but I'm interested, I'm intrigued, I'm, I'm pursuing it. And so they essentially say, I, I believe in God. I don't have a problem with that, but I'm just not sure about like the Jesus thing. Like who was he and how was he? And was he really the savior of the world? And was his death on the cross really anything necessary for my life? I'm still trying to figure that out. My faith is not a significant part of my life. Meaning I may go to church for an hour and I'm intrigued and interested, but you know, once I leave there, I really don't think about it much. 
I don't parent through my faith. I, I don't really act as an employee through my faith. I, I don't relate to my spouse through my faith. I don't manage my money with any implications of my faith having bearing on it. So I, I'm just exploring. And so this is sort of like on the, the path to first base. I'm just exploring. And I would say, I'd go so far as to say that by the... The way that you know you arrived at least at first base in a spiritual progress is you've come to a place of repentance and you've put your trust in Jesus, invited him to be your savior because you recognize that you need him. That, that would be first base. And then, and then second base in this survey is people who were described as, well, I'm making progress now. I'm starting to grow. I've invited Christ in my life. I'm starting to learn things. I'm starting to sort of, you know, match my life to what these things are that I'm learning. And so I believe in Jesus. I'm working on what it means to get to know him. This is all brand new. I love brand new. I love to see that in someone's life. They're, they're, they're just on the journey of trying to figure out how this all works and what it means. Then third base, third base is somebody who might be described as being close to Christ. I feel really close to Christ and I depend on him for daily guidance. In other words, a person who's kind of arriving toward third base, they're starting to integrate their faith in Christ more into everyday life, like parenting and marriage and managing their money and, and asking God for his help throughout the day in situations that they find you know, stressful or difficult to do the right thing. They're starting to believe, wait a second, Christ is a part of my life. And then the survey revealed that there, there's a, a minority of people who stick with it long enough and who are diligent in making the, um, the effort that, that they would describe that their life where Christ is at the center. He, he's, not, he's not just like a part of their life along with their job and their family and their money and their health and their recreation. He's not just a sliver out of the pie. He, he's at the center of their life. God is all I need in my life. He's enough. I, if I have Christ, I have everything I need. Everything I do is a reflection of Christ. And these are people who live their lives and their first thought, their first thought is, how am I pleasing Christ in this moment? How I'm talking to this person, how I'm treating my spouse, how I'm mentoring my children, that, that's... That's the maturity that the Bible invites us to. Does that make sense? So this survey, and I'd love to tell you more about the survey. The survey had a couple of like um, overarching observations. Uh, here's one of them. Church activities alone do not create spiritual growth. Do you know it's possible to go to church every Sunday and not make much progress spiritually? Now, this is helpful. This is instrumental. This can be incredibly beneficial. But if you're, if you're resting on this and this alone to be enough to nurture your spiritual progress, you're probably always going to stay stuck in your progress. Church activities alone do not create spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is all about increasing relationship to Christ. 
Folks, if you hear anything from me this morning, hear this. There's a difference between a religion about Christ and a relationship with Christ. Lots of people spend a lot of their time around church pursuing a religion that sort of looks like the things of Jesus. And then there's this whole other dimension to where I begin developing a relationship with the living risen Savior. And this, this is the heart of spiritual progress. I move from religion and its rituals and routines, and I start exploring the dimension of a relationship with Christ. And then personal spiritual practices are the building blocks for a Christ-centered life. There's some things that you do that I can't do for you. That you have to take responsibility for yourself and the nurture of your own relationship with Christ. And, and here's a couple of those essential things. Uh, again, you can turn these into performance. You can think I get points by doing these things. That's not how they were intended. These are certain disciplines that I honor as a way of nurturing my relationship. Bible study, prayer, a conversation with God, this idea of Sabbath, where we take time either in our day or in our week when we, we just turn everything aside so that we can focus solely on our relationship with Christ, serving others, uh, giving financially, giving of our time and our energies, and then connecting with other Christians in relationship. These are important disciplines, spiritual practices that begin or help us build a relationship with Christ. Make sense? Yes. All right. So let me tell you about a couple resources. First of all, we begin with Information Central. If you're interested in making some progress and like finding out what might be available to help you with that, stop out at Information Central. We have some resources there. The other thing I would direct you to is this page, Next Steps, that you'll find on our website. And we had like uh, eight different categories of ways that we can resource you and taking next steps in your spiritual journey. Lots of resources right there on that page alone. And then one of my favorite pages or resources that we offer is to stay a while. This is the idea of Sabbath, learning to build a relationship with Christ and, and, and resting in it and um, taking the time to nurture this relationship with Jesus that's beyond a religion. So just some resources that I'd love for you to be aware of. And this uh, stay, a lot, uh, stay a while page, a number of pages, is full of things to read and to study and some guides in your own you know, spiritual disciplines. And we'd love to have you take advantage of them. All right, so let me, let me conclude with this. To follow Jesus is to embark on the adventure of living a better, more fulfilling life. Like if we listen to what Jesus has to say and we trust him with what he has to say, he's not inviting us to a religious life. He's inviting us to the best way living possible. He's inviting us to an adventure of a better, more fulfilling life. You know, for years now, I have been fascinated with the topic of wisdom. I mean, if there's two things that I wanna be in life is I wanna be wise and I wanna be gracious. But I'm fascinated by the topic of wisdom. And one of the things that I've learned through the years about wise people is that wise people, they take inventory. 
They stop every once in a while in the hustle and bustle, the hurry, the stress, the pace of life, and they slow it down sometime just to take some inventory and to ask some questions about where they are and how they're doing. People who aren't very wise, they just keep skimming off the top and pretty soon they wake up someday and they're 90 and they're like, what happened to my life? Wise people, they take these intervals along the way and they go, where am I headed? So here's three questions I wanna leave you with. These are three questions that wise people ask themselves. Where do I wanna be? Like, what's the destination? We've already discussed that the destination when it comes to spiritual progress is looking more like Jesus. So then a wise person stops at points throughout their life and go, how do I look more like Jesus? And then where am I right now? What, what areas of my life don't reflect Jesus well? Where can I use some growth, some change, some progress? And then they ask this question, what's my next step? What's the next right thing that I could do to move me toward a better reflection of Jesus? And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Paul, that's like a million steps. I look at my life and where I am and who Jesus is. I'm not even close. There's like a million steps between me and him. And I go, okay, okay, so don't be overwhelmed by the million steps. Just look at the one right in front of you. Just take the next step. What's the next step for you to make some progress toward Jesus? That's the discussion of what spiritual progress looks like here at Sibylla Creek. Make sense? Okay, so before we run off, let's look at Jesus. Those of you who heard, well, what's everybody doing? Um, it's like they knew what to do. Underneath your chair are the elements for communion. We're going to take time to spend around communion. And that's what communion is. It's, it's a look at Jesus. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, the instructions of the first century church, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you... You're focused on Jesus at the epitome of who he was. In his humility, he came to serve and to serve by giving his life as a payment for my sin. Enormous sacrifice that he made, he gave his life so that I could live, so that you could have eternal life. So the instructions of the New Testament are this, is often as you eat this bread, remember Jesus. The cup. The cup is a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed when he emptied his life as a payment for sins before a holy God. 
for the sins of the whole world, which I've contributed greatly. But Jesus paid for those sins. And he asked me, Paul, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that were it not for the cross, you'd still be lost far away from God. But because of the cross and the blood that Jesus shed there, my sins have been paid for and so have yours. So as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Folks, remember, it's not about points. It's not about perfection. It's simply about making progress. Taking a next step, giving oneself to the pursuit of better understanding a relationship with Jesus and allowing him to have an impact on the way that I go about living my life. That's what Christ invites us to. Let me ask you to stand together. It's good to see all of you here today. Thanks for being a part. If you're here for the first time or you're new to Civil Creek, I'd love the opportunity to meet you be over here in this corner of the auditorium following the service. I'd love to just make your acquaintance. Please come and introduce yourself. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your grace that you invite us into this relationship with you, the holy living God. In your grace, you provided a way for us to come into your presence by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which can cleanse us from all the unrighteousness that keeps us from coming to you. And then in your grace, you invited us into a relationship with you. You knew that a religion would be so empty and so exhausting. So you said, have a relationship together. Just move toward that. So God, I'm asking that you would do a work at Sybil Creek Community Church. Raise up an entire church family. It doesn't work on a point system. It doesn't live in fear and guilt and shame of not being perfect, but enjoys the adventure of living in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And each day doing, doing something that moves us closer toward a better reflection of Jesus in our life. Help us with that, I pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, gang, have a great week. See you next Sunday.